What's going on, wellness gang? Welcome back to Embodied Wellness Radio. My name is Sarah Collins. And my name is Denon Maximchuk. These days, we are inundated with alerts and notifications, a constant barrage of stimulus, and for many people, an ongoing struggle with their minds, from anxiety to the inability to focus, battling to take back control from the chaos and the nonstop filtering of information that our brains have to go through. Today's guest is Justin Lovato. Part of his purpose is to help others understand how to quiet the analytical mind, to dissolve the ego, clear anxiety, heal from trauma, and working with individuals to identify and simplify non-serving behaviors. Not only that, but Justin is an absolute beast in the gym, being an absolute unit himself, but he's also known for having trained some of Hollywood's top celebrities, including Josh Brolin, who you might know better as Thanos from the Marvel Cinematic Universe or Cable from Deadpool 2. I'm very proud to say that Justin is one of my coaches now too, which is why I'm so excited to share his wisdom with the Embodied Wellness community. Justin, welcome to the podcast, my friend. (laughs) Thank you for such a nice introduction. Thank you for having me on. No worries, man. So something that I've struggled with in the past, and I know that so many people also struggle with oftentimes, uh, sometimes even into the later years of their life is the constant search for their soul's true purpose, maybe call it, you know, mankind's search for meaning, right? Recently, Mm -hmm. you kind of enlightened me to, you know, a whole perspective on purpose. So how is how do you define purpose? That's a great question. Um, I feel that first off, I feel that everybody has the same purpose and it sounds kind of far out, but I believe every single one of us has the same purpose. And that purpose is to become enlightened. And, uh, my personal definition of enlightenment is understanding that you are not the human conditioned mind. And if you're not the human conditioned mind, what are you? That's a scary thought. (laughs) It's a scary thought, right? Simple answer. Uh, you are consciousness. So there's two parts of purpose, though. So there's uh, Eckhart Tolle uses actually this term or these terms really well as your inner purpose and your outer purpose. So your inner purpose is to become enlightened. And then your outer purpose is how you express your enlightenment. How do you share this new knowledge that you are loving awareness, having a human experience? And you can do it through different modalities. I do it through the breath work or behavioral coaching or even personal training. And other people do it through podcasts, writing, singing. Um, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I think a lot of times we get mixed up uh, with our purpose and we kind of skip the first step, which is enlightenment, uh, which makes sometimes the outer purpose a little bit tough to really understand um, how to operate it in a lot of ways. And I think the idea of enlightenment or even just the word kind of scares people, right? Just the word Mm -hmm. is like, oh my gosh, that that sounds like you know, I'm going to be a monk hovering over a rock six feet wearing robes. And there's a lot of, uh, I would say, a negative connotation, I think, in most of the Western world attached to the word enlightenment. So I do, I love the way that you express enlightenment is just an understanding and awareness that we are part of a collective consciousness. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, you nailed it. It's exactly what it is. And it's really quite beautiful being able to um, step back from the identity of the person, because when we can do that, we can we can also uh, no longer and will no longer identify with our experiences as well, which which oftentimes causes a lot of suffering. Do you feel like people's outer purpose can in some ways guide them towards their inner purpose as well, however? Because, you know, many people, they feel like their purpose is maybe helping others or they're really they really feel fulfilled in helping others. And maybe through that work, they become a little bit more self-enlightened, which can kind of lead them on to the journey of of their internal purpose. Right. So do you feel like it also um, has some benefits for people who start maybe with outer purpose and that draws them a little bit more inwards? 
yeah, actually, I, I think that's kind of what happened with me, to be honest. You know, I, I think for a long time, unconsciously, why I first became a personal trainer, I wasn't really aware of what I was um, seeking that type of profession for, but it was to create and hold space for individuals to be their authentic selves. Um, and then even as I found myself entering to the behavioral coaching field, I still wasn't really aware of my inner purpose, enlightenment. I really didn't become more so enlightened until much later on. So yes, I think a lot of times um, we discover our inner purpose by by doing our outer purpose in, in different ways. And then we slowly can find our way back to it, uh, which is exactly what happened for me. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the more that we serve others, the more that we're faced up against our own internal stuff and things start to come up. And as you know, people start to grow in their outer purpose, there's an increased demand for their inner purpose to also rise up to in order to continue to serve in the way that they're serving. So I think that can be really powerful. And when you mm -hmm. say or you use um, the word enlightenment, how would somebody know or feel that they have reached that? Do you feel like it's a feeling and all of a sudden one day you're like, yeah, I'm pretty enlightened or is it a constant journey? <laughs> what is your experience with that? I think it's a consistent journey. You know, I, I think um, because we've identified as the human thinking mind for so long, it's easy to fall into that repetitively over and over again it's also very normal the transition to really no longer do that takes time and it is quite a journey um and so i think it's just a, a process a transition of consistent practice uh like meditation breath work or other modalities to uh, essentially tap back into consciousness into loving awareness and so that way we can start operating from that field the present moment more often and then during this this consistent work and this consistent practice, we are also retraining the uh, conditioned human mind to also be more present, more conscious, more loving awareness. So it just takes time. Um, and it is, a, it is quite a process. It's a back and forth, a consistent forgetting and remembering, if you will. Mm -hmm. So I think... Um a lot of the times people hear, okay, we need to be able to separate the conscious mind from the unconscious mind and the analytical mind from just the regular flow mind, right? Um, but what are some examples? Because I know being able to separate those things, sometimes people identify better with like situations, but why is it so important? And what are some situations where it's, it's important for people to be able to separate those two? Well, I think it's just, it's just being able to be aware that I think oftentimes when we cannot separate, that's when we kind of fall into the suffering, the consistent chatter within the mind. So when when a situation happens, um, whether it's good or bad, oftentimes the mind will take that situation and think on it consistent, uh, consistently over and over again throughout the day. And that's where it doesn't really serve us. Um, it's better to be able to sit back and be aware that these thoughts are not us that way we can simply observe the thoughts as they come through um as opposed to reacting to them we can just simply observe them and that really does help us um act from a place of loving awareness of consciousness um oftentimes i think if we aren't able to observe our thoughts as opposed to being taken for the ride um especially when the mind is deeply conditioned through fear and lack um the stories it can create, the labels it can create, the judgment it can create, can can really create suffering um, throughout the day and throughout our lives. So it's been really nice being able to, especially in the beginning stages of retraining this mind, this conditioned mind that mostly responds through fear and or lack, um, being able to step outside of that and uh, not react and simply observe. 
So I think for a lot of people, one of the important things is before they fall into the fear, before they fall into the suffering, before they fall into the ego that just takes over the brain and they lose control is to first kind of learn how to, in the moment, check themselves, right? And identify when one mind or the other is really taking over. And I think that's the hardest thing, right? Because especially once emotions get involved, you kind of lose yeah. control very quickly. And that's one of the reasons I, you know, reached out to you for help is because I feel like once my analytical mind goes, uh-oh, look out, because it's just, it's just a downward spiral, right? So what are some ways that people can identify and check themselves to do in the moment so that at least can become more aware that they need to start putting in some internal work outside of what's happening in the moment? Well, that's your meditation, right? Just exposing your mind to the present moment, to consciousness, to loving awareness through your daily practices, whether it be through the breath work, cold plunges, yoga, going for a hike, sunbathing, grounding, essentially creating moments of presence throughout your day to retrain the analytical mind to be present. Uh, and, and that's really what it is. It's, it's learning and understanding that to really be able to step outside of the thoughts before they take hold of you is to zoom out on a daily basis. So zooming out is, is done through the practice of stillness. And uh, that's why breath work is my go-to personally, because every morning I'll wake up, I create an extreme level of presence, tap into consciousness at a very high level. I zoom out from my analytical thoughts, my person, my human condition mind. So then when I go through my day, um, I have this buffer period uh, before I re react or respond to whatever happens, whether it be an actual situation or thoughts in general. And I can, I can watch them and, and, and not respond and not react um, and if I don't do my practices, if I don't do my breath work or other other exercises that bring me into the present moment, it is much, much harder for me to not be pulled in by my thoughts. There's less time for me to observe and, and it's much easier for me to be reactive. I think that many people also um, live constantly in this internal chatter. And unless they've actually had a moment in the past, you know, even few months of stillness, they don't even recognize that that's what's going on or that's their condition because it's just the way things are. And I taught yoga for a really long time and you would have people be like, oh, I just feel so good in Shavasana. Like, I wish I could feel like this all the time. And I'm like, yeah, you know, you can take these moments throughout your day and it really is like an exhale, like a breath of fresh air to have the stillness. But many people never feel that and they don't even recognize that they're in this like really sympathetic nervous system dominant state where their mind is going 24 7 and I know um, I was telling Denon not too long ago when I don't meditate in the morning my brain is wild and I only notice on days I do it that I feel more calm but when I don't do it I don't necessarily notice that I'm not as calm because that's just has become natural to me. And so I think it really is just starting out really simply, like some of the stuff we're talking about may seem overwhelming to someone who's like enlightenment. I can barely take two minutes to breathe, but really like those small moments where you just show yourself like, oh, this is what it feels like to be relaxed. This is what it feels like to be a little bit more calm, even if it's not 100%. And then you can slowly just start to build from there. And the more that you feel that contrast, you're, you'll be able to recognize when you're not in that place of peace. And so it can seem really overwhelming for some people to even A, know that this is something they struggle with, or B, get started. But really, like you said, sunbathing, putting your feet on the ground outside, like all of those little habits that give you just like a little nibble into what it's like to feel stillness really have a profound effect. Yeah. And that's why that, that first 
thought, that first um, awareness shift to enlightenment is such a profound one because it really kind of gives us a window to really understand what we're truly doing. Um, oftentimes we do find these little glimpses, but since that, that, that first big enlightenment shift hasn't happened, it's hard to really see what's happening. Um, and so I feel like that's, that's the biggest thing that we can really start making or having people become aware of is, is no longer identifying with your human thinking mind. And, and I think that shift alone is so powerful. It's so, so powerful. And so when you do meditate, when you do put your feet on the grass, when you do sunbathe, you have an understanding of what you're doing. You're tapping into your actual self, which is consciousness. And so that alone is such a powerful, powerful shift. Um, and, and, and when you do sit down and when you try to get still and it is hard, you won't identify with the mind that's telling you to get up and to not do it and to start Monday. Uh, you'll have a better idea of, of understanding that that isn't you. This, these, these thoughts and these voices coming through is not you. And uh, you'll be able to then sit with it a little bit easier because if you don't really make the first awareness shift that enlightenment if you will um you will believe that you are the thoughts coming through the excessive chatter and you will get up from your meditation and you'll you'll neglect going outside and sitting in the sun and you'll choose to go on the phone or you'll choose to go on netflix or you'll choose to um stimulate yourself or distract yourself as opposed to becoming present and the reason why it's such an important step the first one to become enlightened is because if you if you believe you are the thoughts, if you believe you are the human conditioned mind, you will also believe that you are the manifested ego. And the manifested ego is very good at pretending it's the mind. And so if you believe you're the mind, you believe you're the ego, and the ego will always tell you to start Monday. The ego will always tell you to get up. And, uh, and that's why I think so many people do struggle in the beginning with this, um, is because that first um, enlightenment conversation isn't happening. Mm-hmm. And how would you, um, what would you say to someone who maybe really struggles with getting over that initial hump? Because we have lots of, you know, clients who say to us, oh, well, meditation just isn't for me. And I think it's not really for anyone in the beginning, like that initial period where it's really uncomfortable because the natural, well, nowadays, the, I guess, conditioned yeah. human condition is not to sit there and do nothing. Right. And so it's an initial investment period where you sit there and you feel like, whoa, this is really intense. This isn't for me. You're fighting all the urges to, to get up. And it's really about overcoming the first like little roadblock where you're investing in, in the discomfort in order to get to that next place. So many people feel like meditation is not for me. So what would you say to somebody who's moving through that? Um, try it. First of all, just try it and consistently get into it again. Um, and again, it, we can, the, whenever I have a client coming to me who say struggles with an over analytical mind and incredibly anxious, the first conversation is the enlightenment conversation. Uh, having that discussion alone is such a powerful one, even if it doesn't get through, or if their mind can't comprehend it at first, it's still a wonderful conversation because the seed has been planted. And once the seed has been planted, once the awareness has been planted, um, it will do its thing at, at whatever course or speed it needs to for that individual. So that's like the, just having that conversation alone, the enlightenment one, having that understanding. And, and then also having the conversation um, that when you feel like this isn't for me, letting them know that that isn't them having that conversation. That is the ego, again, coming from that space. And so 
that's another great way to really, I always use the analogy of the, um, or not the analogy, the metaphor of, um, you ever seen that cartoon where you have the angel and the devil and the person? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I use this a lot for when I'm expressing what's going on. And so the, the angel is consciousness, the person is the person and the devil is the manifested ego. And um, at first it's going to be incredibly hard to uh, differentiate the two uh, if you still identify with the person. And so that's as, as you get into the work and you do start zooming out um, and you do fall into the space of loving awareness, it gets easy and easier to understand when the ego is chiming in and manipulating you to get up and not do your work. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's a, it's just, I think a conversation that needs to happen often. And then the meditation that needs to consistently happen so they can, um, zoom out often throughout their day so they can be more aware of their thoughts and not being pulled into them. Mm-hmm. For people that are still kind of struggling with the the idea or even just maybe the word of enlightenment. There was this book that I read called The Untethered Soul. My dad actually gave me the book and I've since given that book to multiple people as gifts and Justin and I have talked about it. And there's one specific lesson in there that I thought was quite poignant to uh, this conversation. And that would be, um, it asks, who are you? And this is kind of an easy way for people to kind of truly understand when they when they break it down like this. And so if I were to ask you, the listener, who are you? You know, most people would say, I am Janet from Burlington, Ontario, right? And then I could respond to you and say, so that's all you are? You're just a collection of letters from a place on this planet? And you would say, no, I'm, I'm probably not actually that. I, you know, I, you know, I grew up here. I like to play sports. I've got two kids. So then I, I might ask you again. So you're, you're a collection of these things and experiences. You go, okay, well, no, mm-hmm. I'm... I, I think this way. I, I guess I am my, my thoughts. I am what I say. I am my thoughts. And I'm like, okay. So other than that, like you're just a collection of things that breeze through your mind and you go, well, I, I guess not. Right. So you, so you might say, okay, well, I guess deeper down, maybe like, you know, I, Janet and my emotions. Right. But you know that you're having those emotions and you're able to identify when you're happy, sad, angry, losing control, um, or whatever that means. But if you're able to see that, then how are you that? Because you are viewing it. So if we mm-hmm. keep peeling back the layers step by step by step, you start to realize that you, the viewer, aka consciousness, are the one that looks out and can see all of these things happening in front of you. So we, mm-hmm. we're able to start to separate that and realize, oh, actually, I, those things are passing by me, like watching cars drive by on a highway. Right. And from from our vantage point, we might see the cars driving by in the distance. We might see mountains and maybe an ocean and clouds. But all of those things that we are viewing are not actually us. We are not those experiences. We are not those things. And that's kind of was my first realization. of Oh, once you start to sit in that point of viewing everything in front of you, all the way from the emotions, which trigger the thoughts, which then trigger the words, which then trigger your actions and then everything outside of that in the physical world, that is kind of where the enlightenment process begins. And I find breaking it down that way, that was the easiest way for me to understand Mm -hmm. it. But the interesting thing is, even understanding that, when trauma starts to kick in, or emotions start to kick in, here I thought for a brief second, I maybe had it all together for a quick second. (laughs) And then anything kicks in, maybe for example, it's the ego. And I start to completely lose it. And I thought that was very interesting when Justin and I on our very first call started to kind of break that down a little bit. So 
On the same point, Mark Epstein said that the ego is a way of organizing oneself. It comes from the intellect as the mind starts to click in. But Justin, I've heard you talk before about why you don't think the ego is important or even necessary. Yeah, I don't. I think it's a learned behavior. Children aren't born with egos. Nature doesn't have egos. Mm. Um, yeah, so I feel it's a learned behavior. It's. It's. I, I think. I think collectively, the world is a, a very fear-based world, um, and it's it's a very fear-based narrative. And so, the human mind, when it's a child, and and it's it's and it has fear all around it. It has to create and manifest manifest something to protect itself. And that's what I believe the ego is. It was created to protect itself. And it creates this little box for you to sit in, kind of like the Untethered Soul talks about this, this little house that you create around yourself to protect yourself from everything outside that could just shake your entire being. Um, and so, you know, I, I personally really don't think the ego is needed in any way. Um, I, I love recognizing it now. I love seeing whenever it decides to come up and show itself so that I can give my presence to it. And whenever I give my presence to it, it dissolves immediately and allows me to then act from a more loving awareness space. I think, I think we could all do much better without the, the fear-based ego for sure. Um, and I think we do eventually work our way from it to where we don't use it anymore or, or rely on it anymore for any type of protection. Um, because you're not really protecting yourself from anything, which I think you, again, fall into the enlightenment that you are conscious experiencing everything. Um, you're okay with everything just the way it is, the good and the bad, um, and you're just experiencing it. So, yeah, I don't think you need the ego. So you and I both come from, like, the fitness community, I guess, originally, right? Um mm -hmm. And in, in that, that, we do have some listeners that come from that community. There, there's some IFBB pros and such that listen, right? I think one of the hardest things for a lot of people is like when I go, maybe I'm filming at a show or something like that. It's like, man, all I see walking around is just ego and insecurity everywhere. And it's just pouring out of people. And I, I truly kind of have empathy for a lot of these people. Like I feel kind of bad, right? But even still with myself, I still suffer with some body dysmorphia and I want to look a certain way. You're still an absolute unit, obviously, right? But I feel like many of these sometimes feelings that I have, and although I've kind of, and I know others are, are becoming more comfortable with separating themselves from the body and being more functional as a human being, both mentally and physically, how do you still handle that kind of situation of like maybe when the thoughts come up that you are not adequate, for example? Um, intrusive thoughts, uh, by being present with them. Uh, that's the actual, it's funny. The presence is like such a, um, it's a repetitive statement, but it is by being present with your intrusive thoughts. Once you become present with them, essentially loving awareness, conscious with these intrusive thoughts, you'll understand that they actually don't exist. Um, these fears are an illusion that you have created to feel worthy and or accepted. And so that's a, that's a unique behavior that most of the collective struggles with. And that's because of the, of the paradigm that we live in. I feel parents, whether they're great parents or poor parents, um, they all raise their children to be socially acceptable, mm -hmm. which is interesting, um, a really interesting way to raise your children. And, and, and the reason why they do that is because they have fears of their children being successful. They want their children to be 
good and safe and all these things, but it comes from a place of fear. So that everything's through punishment and or reward for a child. And then the school system does the same thing. It's either pass or fail. And then oftentimes the dogmatic religion is heaven and hell. So the entire collective builds this unique behavior of, am I enough? Am I, am I worthy? And so this, this, this does create such a complex where everything that you do, whether it's looking good is for, for other people and for other things to be accepted, to be worthy to the, to the job that you have, to the career that you have, uh, to the car that you drive, to the amount of money that you have is all based off of, of, um, are you socially acceptable? Are you socially successful? Are you worthy? And, um, that I feel is one of the biggest things that most people truly struggle with and, and what drives them all through the day is this anxiety of, of being enough. And, and if we can start operating from a different place of already understanding that you are enough because you are consciousness, you are loving awareness, you are divine already. Um, that is so freeing, you know, it's about removing a lot of this excessive chatter through awareness shifts, like not needing validation, the behavior of validation. If you can completely just take that and out of your mind, you don't need to be seen. You don't need to be heard. You don't even need to be understood. You don't need to be right. You just have your truth and you speak your truth without any judgment on self or others. And that's it. I mean, it just frees you from so much. And then you can do the same behavior with judgment. Remove that. The unworthy behavior, remove that. And then before you know it, you have all this beautiful space, no chatter, and you're just present. It's, it's true sovereignty. It's true freedom, true psychological freedom. So how would you say if somebody is dealing with, like maybe they're just getting into this or they're listening to this podcast and it's all kind of new to them. If they are somebody who deals with a lot of intrusive thoughts, where would you say is a great place to start? Breath work. Well, you know, like I'll just run through like a normal phone call. You know, I think it's one, it's important for, for people to want to want change. You know, like I think that's the most important step. So these are for individuals that are, are done and they're sick and tired of feeling the way they feel. They want they want change in their life. They're tired of suffering. They're tired of the intrusive thoughts. They're tired of not being out of sleep. They're tired of just being on autopilot and they know it. And so I think that's very important that the person has to want that. Um, and so those are the people that I'm usually dealing with. They're reaching out, they're contacting me and they want this information. So they're ready to receive. So I think that's very important is that they're ready to receive and they want the change. So the first conversation is, is the enlightenment chat talk. And then after that is, is helping them being able to step outside of the thoughts. Cause that's the hard part. As you mentioned, like you can read the book and you can conceptualize what it's saying, but your thoughts still come through and you still get taken for the ride. So we have oh, to yeah. come up, yeah, come up, we have to come up with uh, an exercise or exercises to zoom out. And so I uh, explained to them why breath work is, I think, one of the most powerful tools and/or exercises to be able to zoom out from these intrusive thoughts so that you don't get taken for the ride. Um, breath work is profound because it does a few things. One, the breath gives you something to focus on, so you're essentially manipulating your brain to focus on the breath, giving you something mindful to pay attention to your presence. So this is a good step. And then on top of that, you're removing tremendous amounts of energy in and around your body. So the body does store uh, energy cellularly. And so if you've gone through your life and you've had some um, experiences that haven't been very nice or very good, your body does store those things. And if you don't know how to clean your vessel properly, this can build up over time and make you incredibly anxious. 
So it does a few different things. Um, gives you something to focus on, cleans your body, and then it taps you into consciousness. So this really does allow them to zoom out for possibly the first time and find complete stillness uh, and or peace. And this alone is going to just rock the world. Also, may I add, every time you become present, the ego dissolves. It cannot exist in the light. So this is also a great way to remove the negative chatter um, that most people still have within the mind. Uh, and then the only two entities left in the room is consciousness and the human mind. And then that those two can have a, a wonderful moment sharing uh, space together, holding space together where some deep healing can possibly happen or some idea or revelation or epiphany can come through. You know, the presence is so important because essentially it's a portal. It's a portal for original thoughts to come through. It's a portal for information to come through, for consciousness to flow through. And so if you can truly understand the, the whole goal is just to create presence for these opportunities to come through and to and quiet this chatter, you can make some profound changes just by getting into the breath work. So um, usually after the first session, they are completely blown away about how quiet they are and how they're able to be able to actually watch their thoughts for the first time. Um, it's really brilliant because once you zoom out and you go on to your normal day and now you're slightly outside of yourself and you can really watch your person as they go on autopilot to reach for something or do something or have these thoughts and then you can actually witness it for the first time. And then maybe, maybe you can catch him or her before they do the behavior. Maybe not, but maybe you, you still saw it. And that's the first step. You know, maybe, maybe you, you know, some people let's use, let's use um, food as the stimulation or coping mechanism for someone who has anxiety or, or trauma, right? So whenever they're stressed, they eat food and this happens on autopilot. So say they do the meditation, they zoom out, they become present, more self-aware and they get up and they go through their day and something stressful happens. And then, so they normally go to their go-to, which would be food. Well, they might not catch it the first time, but they have the thought and they, and they catch it later on. They're like, oh, I wasn't even hungry. Why did I eat that? And these are just the beginning stages. And eventually you'll catch it faster and you'll catch it faster. And then eventually you'll, you'll learn to hold space for the anxiety as opposed to learning how to like dive into some form of stimulation or coping mechanism as opposed to sitting with it. And you get really good at sitting with your discomfort and, and holding space for your person when they feel it and being present with your person when they feel it as opposed to just kind of distracting it mm -hmm. or coping with. Mm -hmm. I listened to a really interesting meditation by Joe Dispenza and he says that thoughts are the language of the brain and emotions are the language of the body. And he was talking about how a lot of people get caught up in, you know, having all these good intentions. I want to be more present. Let's use food for an example. I want to stop mindlessly snacking and they have all of this, crud going on in their heads and it's it's all thoughts but they haven't really practiced conditioning their body to be in that place of stillness where they can actually make a change right which is why breath work is so beautiful because if your body is still in the emotional conditioning of the stress and the overwhelm and maybe there isn't um they haven't created the space to be able to just sit back and observe their thoughts. The breath really allows you to also help with the physical aspect of things and the emotional conditioning that happens when people are trying to make
make a change in behavior. And my dad is actually a uh, developmental and complex trauma counselor. And his whole business is somatic healing in addition to the mind, which is often missed in a lot of, you know, even counseling practices where they just want to talk, talk, talk. But there's no chatter about how like the issues is in your tissues, right? Or how the body really holds the trauma. And so the breath can become a really beautiful vessel for healing to allow people to connect with the physical part of everything. Because even for somebody who has an analytical mind who wants to change, they're trying to outthink themselves out of their problems. And so there really does need to be this like beautiful interplay and connection with the body, which is one reason why I think breathwork is so incredibly powerful too. I love that, you know, like I think, and that's what I actually do all the time is that, you know, you first have the intrusive thought and then you do feel it within the body, right? So you have the the thought and then you feel the anxiety. And um, I love bringing it always back to body. That's for me now, that's, that's one of the, the, I feel it's a cheat code. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, I love it. I absolutely love it. And um, I focus my presence on it now, you know, because that's, it's such a great way to really understand this and approach it too, because, you know, like, you're not going to be able to just stop and do breath work um you know during all these situations that can cause uh, anxiety within the mind so i i absolutely love now that i can find where i feel my anxiety within my personal body and then i set my presence to it it's really nice once you really start stepping outside of these thoughts because then when you do step outside the thoughts you also can be outside of the body in some ways and still like pinpoint where you feel it and then you can set your presence to it and then it really does dissolve in like five to ten seconds it's it's completely beautiful. And I not only do that within myself, I do that with my partner. I can do that with individuals, essentially be present with them, be very conscious with them. And then when you do that, it, uh, it's like, it's like a wave that comes off you and it will bring them essentially from unconsciousness back to consciousness, from their fear back to consciousness. And, um, you could do that with yourself. You could do that with your significant other, everybody. It's, uh, it's wonderful being able to uh, focus on these parts of your body. That's why I love the breath work as well. Cause you do go from mind body to divinity. And, um, and, uh, and that's really important too. And I feel like that's why uh, women actually have a better time or an easier time getting to divinity because you guys are mostly body mm-hmm. uh, majority and, and men do typically have a difficult time meditating because they have to go from the analytical mind to the body to divinity. So, um, but you get really good at it. You get at, at finding these parts of your body that aren't aligned and then you can give your presence to it. And when you talked about stored energy and anxiety, something that my dad mentioned to me that I started to notice myself and others is that let's say like I talk to a lot of clients and some of them have some pretty serious health stuff going on. And he's like, notice how when somebody tells you something that's intense, you stop breathing. You're like, (laughs) he's like, yeah. And he's like, sometimes when he uh, is working with people in like trauma counseling, he has to tell them, Hey, exhale. Like, I don't think you've breathed out once our entire session. Cause when we start to get stressed or overwhelmed, many people just hold on to everything. And as mm-hmm. you were mentioning, that can cause a lot of like stuck and stagnant energy and overwhelm inside of the body. And so learning mm-hmm. to regulate your breathing, even if it's not like a quote unquote breathwork session, I have to yes. catch myself all the time when I'm working to be like, exhale relax girl it's all good so yeah just breathing out is so powerful yeah even if it's like two or three breaths i just had a client just tell me that the other day um you know something came into his field and it literally froze him and then a voice came into his head came into his head and said take three breaths just take three breaths 
and he took three long, powerful breaths and then it completely settled him and brought him back to body and then brought him back to the present moment. And he was able to like, yeah, withstand that, that, that first initial shock. Yeah. The breath is so incredibly powerful and they are as simple as just taking two to three breaths. When you do feel this anxiety, when you do not feel aligned, um, you can always tap into the breath, even if it's just two or three. Mm-hmm. It's funny when we, when we first started the business and things took off so quickly and uh, we were dealing with a lot, a lot of people, a lot of things and all of the foundations of even of just the whole business in general. And we would look over at each other sometimes and <laughs> just <gasps> and I'd be like, hey, hey, remember to breathe. Because like we would just mm-hmm. gasp for air because we probably hadn't breathed in 60 seconds. <laughs> Sarah was pretty bad for that for a little while. I just look over her and she goes, oh, damn it. <laughs> like, but well, I know yeah, we, we both probably. do it quite a bit. But I think my biggest advice to anybody would be, look, you might be strong, you might be a high achiever, but everybody needs work on, on, in these areas, right? So I've happily and thankfully, and I'm so grateful that I've you know been following Justin for many years and I've been able to link up with him and we've started the coaching process. Tell us a little bit more about your coaching, how it works, where can people find you at? And um, yeah, what do you offer? Yeah, so essentially I just teach people how to meditate right? How to become present, how to become still. And I use the breath work as that tool, that major modality uh, to tap into it. As I expressed before, the, the reasons why I love the breath is because it moves all the energy around. It does just quite a great job in so many different ways. And so uh, usually it's opening up a conversation, a conscious conversation, a consultation of, of what this is, enlightenment, the breath work, what it does, introducing them to meditation, and then get them on the program where they're meditating, um, hopefully daily, depending on the individual and their own personal uh, development. Um, And then oftentimes I'm meeting up with these individuals once a week or once every two weeks to go over any thoughts or questions that they may have as they're coming into consciousness, as they're coming into enlightenment. And oftentimes this can be a very interesting road because one, there's really no one else talking about it or experiencing it with them. Most of the time, this is a solo adventure, especially in the beginning. Um, so I'm just there to uh, just hold space essentially as they go through their experience and I can help them decipher between the ego and consciousness oftentimes and stuff like that. So yeah, it's just staying on top of it, working with them. Um, and it's just been, it's, it's just been so much fun being able to um, create a program that allows them to really discover who they are um and uh and uh, it really everything that the intentions that went into the music um why i made it it, it's very powerful um and when you uh when you do really create certain things like these programs or even have certain conversations with with loving awareness behind it with with the goal of consciousness to uh to rise um it's just inevitable. It's, it's, it's such beautiful synergy in the way it happens and the synchronicities. Like they, they want the change. They are reaching out. So it's just, just a matter of time of how it all really works. It's, it's really quite beautiful. I'm doing two of the sessions right now. I do two sessions a day, total of 90 minutes. I've restructured my day in order to like make it work. And man, I got to tell you the one hour cosmic one, I was seeing some trippy things by the end of that, man. At first, the first couple of times I was like, I don't, I had to keep telling myself, I was like, you're safe right now. You're safe right now. It's okay. But holy smokes, I'm excited for some of our people to jump in with you and um, work out some of their own things. But Sarah, is there anything else you'd like to say? I think that's all. 
Justin, mm-hmm. my man, thank you so much for coming on today. I appreciate your wisdom and I know this is going to help a lot of people moving forward. So thank you so much, man. And is there anything else you'd like to say? Uh, no, I think that's good. Yeah. Reach out if you, uh, if you need any help, I'm here to be a service. So. And we'll put Justin's information as well as his Instagram linked in the show notes. Absolutely. So go enjoy that cold tub that I see in your backyard behind you. <laughs> I uh, was noticing yeah. that too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I got the cold plunge. Yeah, it's fun. All right, wellness gang, we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. This podcast provides general information and discussions about health and related subjects. The information and other content provided in this podcast or any linked materials are not intended and should not be construed as medical advice, nor is the information a substitute for professional medical expertise or treatment. If you or any other person has medical concern, you should consult with your healthcare provider and seek other professional medical treatment. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you may have heard on this podcast or any linked materials. If you think you may have a medical emergency, call your doctor or emergency services immediately. The opinions and views expressed on this podcast are of no relation to those of any academic, hospital, health practice, or other institution.